Would you agree with me if I said that I think some of you have been on the treadmill too long? <laughs> Those who laugh loudest are most guilty. <laughs> it depends on the kind of treadmill I guess I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about this morning the treadmill as found in your basement or in your uh, spare room in your house or at the gym. If that were the case, I would tell you to stay on the treadmill. Um, but I'm advising you to stop today because treadmill Christianity takes a lot of energy, but it really gets us nowhere. You can walk, jog, or sprint on this treadmill, but no matter how slow or how fast you go, you only get as far as you were when you first got on. All it does is drain you. Some of you today have chosen a different exercise, piece of exercise equipment. Some of you opt for the hamster wheel of faith. Anybody use that one? You're moving at the speed of light. Ever see a hamster in a hamster wheel? They're going pretty fast, but they're going where? Nowhere. You think the exercise is good, you're going nowhere spiritually. And some of us prefer, uh, it's not necessarily an exercise piece of equipment, but some of us like rocking horse Christianity. You go back and forth and back and forth. There seems to be lots of motion. There's lots of activity. It shakes things up a bit, but when you finally come to a stop, you have gone nowhere. Of course, our intentions are good. Consistent spiritual growth is necessary for a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we're not moving forward, we're standing still, and standing still really isn't an option, at least not for those wanting to grow in their faith. But we make a mistake when we sign up for the treadmill, or jump on the hamster wheel of faith, or opt for the back and forth motion of rocking horse Christianity, going forward here, stepping back there. It feels real, feels like we're really doing something, but ultimately, one more time, it gets us nowhere. Why do we opt for this kind of discipleship? We've forgotten what our true resources for life are. We can make progress in our faith if we stick to the right resources. And Paul makes them clear as he writes to the Ephesians and also to us, as Bob noted. And he also said this was a prayer. Uh, Paul wrote this as a prayer. Uh, in one point, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know three things, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and I'll explain that, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Resources for life. The Christians at Ephesus were tempted to think that their spiritual resources could be found in the non-Christian culture around them. Does that sound a little bit familiar to you? Trying to find spiritual resources in the culture? For the Ephesians, it was a preoccupation with magic. If you prayed in the name of a god, you could wield that god's power. Which, of course, was a lie. But it was common to believe you could access this kind of magical power just by saying the name of a god. 
And it's kind of like that in our culture too. We wouldn't name and pray in the name of a God necessarily, but we would look to culture uh, to give us what we think we need. Maybe we try to find that right spiritual book or we consider the latest therapy or the newest drug or the best talk show we could possibly find on TV to give us what we need to grow. And so we keep one foot in the culture and one foot in our faith, and we go back and forth and back and forth. We run the race that gets us nowhere. We spin our wheels in our attempt to grow. That's why Paul wrote what he did. Paul wanted Christians to know and use the right resources to help them grow. And there are three, as I already mentioned, hope, riches, power. If we stick to these three spiritual resources for life, we will grow. The first one, hope as a spiritual resource. Hope is a calling, says Paul. If you are in Christ, you are called to hope. The struggle we have with hope, however, is that it is something we cannot see. You can't hear it, you can't touch it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it. In a world where we need to know by experiencing through our senses, Paul says we need to experience hope through something different, and that is our faith. That is to believe without seeing. Romans 8.25 says, Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is the call to endure. Hope is the spiritual resource that tells us that behind the struggles of this world, in our lives, in our church, our family, our relationships, our jobs, the list goes on, God's answer is redemption. That in Jesus, God has made and is in the process of making things right. This was part of his plan. This restoration was part of his plan from the beginning. So no matter what we're going through or experiencing, hope as a resource encourages us to hold on and to hold fast to what we know is true by faith. Because we know even without seeing what is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And what is that hope? If you've been here once the past month, you should know the answer to this question. I'll ask it again in the hope that you can answer it. What is the hope we have as Christians? It's a word that begins with an S, and it's a church word. Salvation. Salvation. Oh, that's so good to hear. Good for you. Our hope is salvation. Remember what we talked about salvation, too, that it's in the past that God has given his son and his son has given himself so that we could be saved. Salvation is also the reward that we receive in the future, as First Peter uh, says. But it's also the strength to work out our salvation daily in the present. And I hope you remember that from last week. The more believers understand what is the hope of God's calling, the greater the capacity we have to patiently endure the difficulties of life, knowing there is a purpose to what God has asked of us. Hope is the first spiritual resource we have. Two, 
The second one are riches, and these are not the riches, of course, that we usually associate being rich with. Our car, our house, a job, maybe your retirement, if that's in good shape. In addition to the riches of the inheritance mentioned in the past few weeks, which you just told me uh, was the hope that we have, that being salvation, this resource also points us to the riches that we have in one another. It's a little awkward in the scripture uh, because this particular sentence that points this out is interpreted in a couple different ways. It's a little vague. Uh, but here's what Paul says in what um, Bob read for us this morning. Paul says we are God's holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. What does that mean? That we are God's rich and glorious inheritance. Well, it means that as believers, we have riches that are bound up in and with one another. Riches that come because we are tied to a church where all the saints are part of a common calling to be set apart from the world so that we can reach it with real hope. Our riches in the saints is called is our call to be the body of Christ in the world. It's that resource that reminds us we have one another, that we don't have to go it alone. Believers working together as one in unity are supposed to be part of each other's reward. And isn't that an interesting statement? We are part of the reward to each other. I think that's a powerful resource. Leads to the third spiritual resource we have. Great power. I think we forget about that often. This spiritual resource comes to us as nothing less than the same power that raised Christ from the dead, as the scriptures say. You and I have access to that same power. And if Christ made it possible for us to live eternally, we can trust that that power is also at work in our lives as we grow from day to day. Again, I mentioned that this past week in our becoming what God wants us to be. There isn't anything that can bring us so low or crush our spirits that we cannot overcome through the power of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's a lot of people's favorite verse. If Christ could be raised from the dead, if that kind of incomparably great power is available to us, there is no way the lows of this life can keep a hold of us. The only question is whether we are uh, willing to use the power available to take the next step of faith. It is about growth. It is about taking the next step in our faith, especially during troubling times. A couple of illustrations, hopefully, uh, to point out the necessity of growth and what who we can rely on in order to help us grow. James Hewitt wrote this. At first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I died. He was out there sort of like the president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. 
But later on, when I recognized this higher power, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that God was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places, but life has not been the same since. God makes life exciting. But when he took the lead, it was all I could do to hang on. He knew delightful paths, up mountains, through rocky places, and at breakneck speeds. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and I was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into adventure. When I'd say I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, God's and mine. And we were off again. He said, give the gifts away, they're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did, to the people we met, and I found that in giving, I received, and our burden became light. At first, I did not trust him in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it, but he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it lean to take sharp corners, dodge large rocks, and speed through scary passages. And I am learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful constant companion. And when I'm sure I just can't do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal. Another illustration by Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, who once told a story about a flock of barnyard geese. Every Sunday, the geese would gather in the barnyard near the feeding trough. One of their number, a preaching goose, would struggle up on the top rail of the fence and exhort the geese about the glories of goosedom. He would tell them how wonderful it was to be a goose rather than a chicken or a turkey. He would remind them of their great heritage and tell them of the marvelous possibilities of the future. Occasionally, while he was preaching, a flock of wild geese winging their way south would fly overhead in a marvelous V formation thousands of feet in the air. When that happened, some of the geese would excitedly look and say to one another, that's who we really are. We're not destined to spend our lives in this stinking barnyard. Our destiny is to fly. Others would comment to themselves that flying looked like hard work, and they were better off on the ground there in the barnyard. Eventually, the wild geese would disappear from sight, their honking echoing across the horizon. The barnyard geese would look around at their comfortable surroundings, sigh, and return to the mud and filth of the barn, each making the decision to stay. They never did take advantage of the possibility that they could grow to be and do more, and therefore experience more that life as a goose had to offer. 
they never did fly. We, as the illustration is pointing out, can be like those barnyard geese at times, content with our surroundings and our spiritual state, only catching a glimpse of life as a growing, maturing Christian. But it's often too comfortable to remain where we are. So let's remember today that it's our privilege and responsibility to grow, to grow into Jesus, who is the head, and we're going to affirm that in just a minute. Jesus, who is the head of the body, the head of the church, who has given us the spiritual resources of hope, riches in the saints, and incomparably great power that can transform us if we choose to spread our wings a little bit and just keep pedaling. Not on a stationary bike, but one, maybe a tandem bike that God is on with us. Get off the treadmill. Stop rocking back and forth with the culture. Let's use these three resources for life. Hope, hope of both a reward of our faith and the strength to carry on today. Riches, the gift of one another. And great power to be able to see our way through the twists and turns of life. If we will use those three resources for life, we will grow. Amen.